I've had the blessing of being able to go to different countries, and as such, it's always a learning experience to to do so. And um, as you travel to that place, you as you get closer, you find yourself uh, surrounded more and more by the people to whose country you're going to. And so before long, as you make your flights or your travels there, you become the minority. And so it's interesting as the culture around you changes, the smells around you change, the sounds change. And as you do so, you, you come to a point where you have to make a decision. Will you try to communicate and risk looking dumb, or will you just kind of stay smug and quiet and and put no risk out there, and, and perhaps maybe they'll think you're smart. I've, I've given up on appearing smart a long time ago, and, and so I uh, often will, will make a stab at the language and at least try to communicate. And uh, It was a few years ago I had such one encounter where I was trying to observe what people were saying in, in given circumstances, I thought, okay, Maybe that's what this word means, and, and trying to figure out the meaning of words as I was going along, and uh, I was in an elevator in a hotel, and um, I was just getting ready to, to leave, uh, exit my floor, and this uh, young man was, was very nice to me, smiling the whole time, and just kind of nodding his head like he wanted to say something, he didn't know what to say, and, and as I, I left, he, he just said, ta-ta, and you know, being in... Uh, and, and China at that time, I thought, okay, well, that's, um, I'll re- that word must have some kind of departure, uh, greeting, farewell, you know. And he had a certain sound, ta-ta, you know. just And so I then start using that word, trying to show off, man, you know, I'm, I'm learning stuff, you know. And, and uh, folks kind of look at me, you know, funny, you know. I was like, what? I thought, man, they're impressed because here I am, a, a white guy, and I'm already using their words, you know. And... and uh, I was talking to one of our, our folks that knew the language, and I said, hey, can you tell me what ta-ta means? And they said, you know, I don't, I don't recognize that word. You know, I think well, maybe it's some kind of different dialect, you know. I think, man, I'm just pioneering, you know, the language here, and telling them a few things. And it dawned on me that as I was saying this, that this fellow was trying to uh, identify with me, looking English, and was telling me ta-ta, like... So long, ta-ta, in English, ta-ta, man, you know, here I'm trying to think, I'm, I'm communicating Chinese, and it's just not working, you know? And I've often cursed the, the whole concept of having different languages, uh, and the, the problems it causes. And fortunately, the only thing that I, I lost in that was just a, a few strangers that thinks I'm an idiot now, uh, but, you know, I can live with that. Uh, but, you know, that's, there's so many more prices that we pay for for cultural miscommunication. Ever wondered where that came from? Where does races uh, come from and, and different nationalities? How does that happen? You know, we've been talking the Bible from Genesis up to this point, how they're coming from Adam and Eve, and later they come from Noah, and, and there's one, one couple that, that starts it off, or uh, in Noah's case, there's three different couples that, that started off. And, and so how is it that we look so different and act so different, and speak so different. Where does that come from? I'm going to point you to the, to the Bible. And what you're going to find in Genesis chapter 10 and chapter 11 is a, uh, well, the start of all of that. And also, it gives explanation uh, to racism, uh, and to nationalism, 
and the uh, idea of the wars that continue on. In fact, I would just present to you that the Bible, more than any other book that claims to be a revelation, speaks to reality as it is. You can find no other better explanation for reality and all the, the beauties and all the flaws of what you and I experience and know than uh, than. And no one explains it better than what the Bible does. How do you explain wars that continue on? How do you explain, explain the idea of racism that has continued on from, from, from before history as far as we can remember? How do you explain that? Well, you know, it's not evolution because evolution would tell you that we're all going to merge into one and we're going to get better as we go. Uh, and, and if anything, uh, evolution would tell us, well, whatever the strongest race, they ought to prevail and they ought to annihilate the others because it's survival of the fittest. But in the Bible, you have an explanation that fits reality. And so what I want to do is just take you to Genesis chapter 10 and chapter 11 and tell us a few things about mankind in general as we get to these two chapters. Now, uh, let me just give you a little review. It's been a few weeks since we we, uh, tackled uh, the book of Genesis. You remember, we have Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the God created uh, the mankind made him in the image of God, gave him certain roles as man and as woman. And the differences there created marriage uh, at that point. And then in chapter 3, you have man's rebellion through Eve and then through Adam. Uh, the rebellion that in the very order of it uh, was attacking God's authority. And therefore, they experienced the consequences of separation from God, separation from one another. And the tree of life has been taken from them, so they no longer are able to live forever, eternally or physically. And so we see that the society continues on. Uh, and we've seen the effects of Cain, who was a rebel. Uh, and then uh, the worldwide influence of people who rebelled against God living for long periods of time in their corruption. And so God eventually says, this is so corrupt, we're going to start over with the man named Noah. We have the flood that comes in. And then God comes and starts the world again with a new world order in Noah. But we find in Noah and his sons, the same problem of sin still persists. We did not need a new situation. We did not need new relationships because the problem is still there. It doesn't fix it. And so the sin was still evident. And then as we see in chapter 9, that God puts into this new world order certain forces. One of which we realize the sin factor is still in play. And then we also see that God puts in the fear of consequences with the capital punishment being instituted in chapter 9, verse 6. But praise God, we see the word of God still as a factor, as given evidence through the rainbow that he holds true. Now we come to chapter 10 and chapter 11. Now, I will not uh, read all of chapter 10 and chapter 11, primarily because I can't. Um, but, you know, if I, even if I did it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know the difference. Uh, but what I would like to do is we'll read verse, uh, the first 1 through 9, uh, and we will uh, overview chapter 10, which actually is very interesting. Um, and so let's stand as we read this together, read verses 1 through 9 of chapter 11, the part we can read. All right. The whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime that had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. 
And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they all have one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. You may be seated. Now in chapter 10, we find again that literary device that Moses uses to uh, segment the book. Here it is. These are the generations of the sons of Noah. We see that phrase, these are the generations, time and time again to introduce a new segment. So here we are with a new segment that Moses is bringing out. And now he is giving to us uh, the land or the people that flow from Noah. And chapter 10 is not a true genealogy, but more or less a what's been called a table of nations. Now, what is interesting is if you can get this book out and then look up with other historical books and other Bible dictionaries and figure out what does this mean when you read chapter 10. I'm going to promise you it is fascinating when you start studying what this means. And I'm just going to give you a little sample of this because what you have here in chapter 10 is, uh, well, your forefathers. Your forefathers and trying to trace your family tree to one of these would be very indeed impressive. Uh, I'll give you a challenge on that. We have our, our genealogist here within our church, and that, that's a challenge right there. Uh, so uh, let's look, in, and we find in, in verse 1, uh, the, the three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and to them were sons born after the flood. Now what's interesting is Shem, Ham, Japheth, the order here given is not the chronological order in which they were born. Uh, Japheth was actually the oldest, but we see here that it starts with Shem. It starts with Shem because that is the most important person of the family. If you remember, at the end of chapter 9, Noah gives a curse and a blessing to his sons, and the blessing falls on Shem, the curse falls on Canaan, for how they treated uh, treated Noah himself uh, when he was drunk. And so uh, Shem becomes marked out for blessing. And so we see this bearing fruit in chapter 10 and chapter 11. And so he starts with the sons of Japheth at this point, verse 2, because he is older. And so we have Gomer and Magog and Madai and Javon and Tubal and Meshach and Tiras. No, there's probably not pronounced right, but it's okay. Uh, And so here we have nations that come from Japheth. Japheth literally means enlargement. And you find that 14 nations flow out of this one man, his sons and his grandsons. Gomar and Magog is possibly the father of Scythian people and the Medes. And so that's up in the northern area where we call Russia, uh, that it could very well come from that uh, Gomar and Magog. Javon has uh, been identified with the people in the southern Greece and possible Western Asia Minor. Tubal and Meshach, uh, again, they've been mentioned in, in later Assyrian inscriptions along with Magog. And Tiras possibly has an identification with the Thracian people in a later area. Now, Ezekiel 38 uses Magog and Meshach and Tubal and Gomer to refer to a geographical area north of Israel, many think to be um, Russia. Uh, and so in Ezekiel 38, many folks believe that Russia figures in into the last days and being one of the nations that comes against Israel from uh, Ezekiel 38. 
Very fascinating indeed, and there seems to be some uh, linkage between Magog and the Rus people. Now, the sons of, Gimar, of Gomer, these individuals, verse 3, they lived, uh, we associate them near the Black Sea. Uh, verse 4, you've got another group of folks. Uh, and then it says in verse 5, From these, the coastland peoples of the Gentiles were separated into lands, everyone according to his language, according to the families into their nations, nations listed. Now, you think, well, wait a second. The Bible doesn't say they have a different language, and that's found in chapter 11. What's the problem? Well, what you have here in chapter 10 and 11 is that Moses is not bringing these in chronological order. He's doing it in, uh, with a point to bring out the emphasis on Shem. Okay, so in chapter 10, you have a chronology that happens after chapter 11. Okay, so you've got the breakdowns, different languages. Chapter 11, he tells how it is they got different languages. And then the last part of chapter 11, he, he starts where he left off in this genealogy and picking up with Peleg, which is one of the folks of Shem. Uh, it's fascinating. Uh, you can make a little tree of this, and uh, it helps you to understand when I'm starting throwing these names around. Uh, so he goes now into, uh, oh, just, just so you know, this Jephthah character, most of those folks, when they travel on the coastlands, many of them end up around starting at the Black Sea, the Caspian Sea, headed towards Spain, north of what we know of Israel and west of Israel, which is what we would know as Europe, and many of you and I probably descend from Jephthah being of a European ancestry. We might have a few exceptions, but for the most part, y'all look very similar. Uh, and so uh, that would indicate our ancestry from Jephthah and the Europeans. Now, the sons of Ham, this is another lineage, uh, with Cush, Mizraim. Mizraim literally means to Egypt's uh, put. Uh, ancient Egypt identified this with the with a nation called Punt, which is modern Somalia. Uh, and then Canaan. Uh, again, this is the area that became known as Israel and all of Syria and all that area. Uh, generally, this group of folks landed in the northeastern part of Africa and the southwestern part of Asia. Uh, and then we have the sons of Cush. Later, that name Cush became identified with the Upper Nile region. Uh, then you have a list of names here. Uh, and, and his sons are, and grandsons are generally identified around Arabia. And then we have one man singled out. Verse 8. Cush begot Nimrod. He became to be a mighty one of the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. It's interesting. Secular historians identify this Nimrod as Sargon I as one of the early Arcadian rulers. You guys didn't know you are going to get a history lesson this morning, all right? Uh, but there's a little bit of this that goes on here. Uh, and we find that this person is a great city builder and evidently somewhat of a military type individual. Uh, what's the point? Why is he emphasized here? Part of the reason he's emphasized is verse 10. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Eric, Akkad, Kanak, in the land of Shinar. Eventually, the place of Babylon in modern day Iraq, uh, this is where Nimrod ruled. And so the events that are about to take place in chapter 11 take place in Nimrod's district. And so we, we see the importance given on this individual. And then from that land, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Er, and Kala, and it goes on. These are all principal cities. And then we find verse 13 and 14. Uh, he, we have these being the ancestors from which the Philistines come from. Now, chapter 15, he starts... Uh, targeting in on some of the most important parts here. He says, this is part and part of Ham. He says, Canaan begot Sidon his firstborn, and Heth and Jebusites. 
by the way, which was the original founders of the city of Jerusalem. It used to be called Jebus before it was named to Jerusalem. The Amorites and the Girgashites, uh, and we keep on reading, we find uh, a few more ites, the Hivite, Archite, and Sinites, the Arvidite, Zemurite, and the Hanabathite, and Termites. Just seeing if y'all paying attention and all that. Uh, but after what you basically what you see is that all these ites are the ones that are around the Canaan area. Why is that important? Because Moses is writing that and he's writing it to people who is saying, you're about to go into this land. These are these countries. This is where they come from. And God has told us to wipe them out because of their sexual immorality and their idolatry has gone to such perverted measures, which, by the way, flows from their ancestor Ham and how he treated Noah. And so Moses is, is helping them understand what they're about to do as they go into the promised land. And verse 19, it gives the border of Canaanites was from Sidon, as you go to Gerar, which is in Gaza. Then as you go towards Sodom, Gomorrah, Admon, uh, and some other places. All right, now verse 20. These were the sons of Ham, according to the families, according to languages, in their lands and their nations. Then in verse 21, he gets the last one, Shem. Shem, father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. There is emphasis put on this fellow named Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. He comes later on in the story, but nonetheless, he gets put, it up, put up right at the beginning. Why did Moses do that? Well, here's a possible reason. Because Eber is uh, an ancient form of which the word Hebrew comes from. And so he's very well bringing out to them that Eber is the one that uh, that from your own family, as he's talking to the Hebrews. Uh, in fact, the Ebla tablets, the Sumerian text from the mid-third millennium B.C., refers to a king, Ebrium, who ruled northern Syria for 28 years, and some speculate him to be the same one as this one named Eber. Uh, and so he brings out the brother of Japheth, the elder. In other words, he's not talking about the first one, firstborn, Shem. Uh, Shem is not the firstborn. Jephthah is, he brings it out because you find that as a pattern throughout Genesis that God often used the secondborn when the firstborn was the one who was supposed to have more prominence. Why? God uses the weaker uh, to do his glory. And we find that theme throughout and we see it right here. Uh, now, the sons of Shem, Asher, Arxaphad, uh, Asher is probably an ancient name for Assyria. Uh, some think this next word, Arf- I can't even pronounce it. Uh, is a compound word for the Hebrew ch- of Chaldeans. Lud refers to possibly the Lydians of Asia Minor, and the Aram refers to the region of Syria. Uh, and then you have the sons of Aram. And then we come to verse uh, 25. Eber were born two sons. The name of one, of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. And then he goes on and traces Joktans. It's like it forgets about Peleg. He does not forget about Peleg. He introduces Peleg... At the end, after the Tower of Babel, and you'll find out why in just a little bit. And so he traces them all down. Uh, and then, verse 31, these were the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their language, into land, according to their names. And it's very well possible that the descendants of Shem became known as Semites, uh, coming from Shem. Uh, and so we have the Semitic peoples that come from this one. Now, why did I go through all that? As, yeah, it's fascinating. So, you know, satisfy your curiosity a little bit. But here is the point. Of chapter 10, we're all family. That's the point. We're all family. 
all the nations of the world are made by God in one family to reflect God's image. Why does that matter? Simply this, because we are family, we don't have the luxury of caring nothing about the rest of the world. That's the point. So that when we hear of events that go on in China, in Myanmar, and countless other places, there should be a desire, or there needs to be a desire in our life to say, you know what, they reflect God's image. God loves them too. He died for them. They are part of our family as mankind. They are not lesser raced, lesser people. We are to care for them and when we hear about things that go on, as such as we have this week, there needs to be a desire upon us as followers of Jesus Christ to say, what can we do to help out and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ and to alleviate the poor and the hurting in these places? And so, yes, it is right for us as a church to say, how can we give out of our budget, out of what we give to help people that we'll never see again? Why? Because we are part of family. That is why it is important for us to go to these places and make sure they hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we have three of our team in Bangladesh right now. That is why John Boozer and JJ will be joining him tomorrow are in India right now to proclaim the word of God because they're part of our family. So what's the point of chapter 10? Uh, Well, simply this. God made the human race one family to reflect God's image. Now, he goes on, uh, verse 32, These are the families of the son of Noah, according to their generations, the nations, and from these nations were divided on the earth after the flood. And so he comes to explain this in chapter 11. Now, here is the point of chapter 11. The first part, verses 1 through 4. Mankind uses their family to make their own glory. God use, mankind uses their own family to build up and make their own glory. Remember what the first point was? God made mankind one family to reflect his image. But man says, no, we're going to unite together for our own glory. Notice what we find in verse 4. Verse 1, or chapter 11, verse 1, uh, says, look, here's the description. We had one language one speech. They could have used one language, one speech to worship their God and thank Him for making them, to thank them for preserving from the flood, to thank them for the food that they ate. They could have used their one voice for that, but they did not. They used their voice to rebel against God. We see this played out in verse 2. It came to pass as they journeyed from the east, they found a plan in the land of Sinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and asphalt for for mortar, we study this in ancient history, and we find these uh, uh, towers everywhere. We call them ziggurats today to reflect their gods. Uh, it's interesting. Archaeologists have discovered in the ruins of ancient Babylon, uh, which is where this probably took place, a building 153 feet high with a 400-foot base, dried brick with seven stages to its structure. Could this be Tower of Babel? It's possible. Uh, it could be some other ziggurat. But nonetheless, that's what's going on. Verse 4 And notice, this is the motivation, verse 4. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city, one, and in this city, let's build a tower that's the tallest ever, a top who goes to heaven, point number two. Number three, what else are we going to do? Or what are we going to do by doing this? We're going to make a name for ourselves. Why are we going to build a city? 
build a city? Why are we going to build a tower? So that we can build a name for ourselves. For, why are we doing this? Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And so the whole idea of building the city, of building a tower, is for security. It is for their own glory. Uh, that's behind all this. Now, it's interesting. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. That sounds familiar. In fact, Genesis 1, 28, God told Adam, he said, God bless them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish in the sea. That sounds familiar. In fact, we see this repeated in chapter 9, verse 1. God tells Noah, God blessed Noah and sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Isn't that interesting? The very thing God commanded them to do was the very thing they were afraid to do. They did not want to do what God had told them to do. Instead of spreading out, they gathered together because they did not want to be destroyed. There is not a trusting of God. There is a fighting for themselves. There is a lifting up of their own name in this. Now, let me just uh, state with you, uh, we're going to find this in contrast with Abraham in a little bit. And next week, Abraham, God tells him not to make a name for himself, but instead God will build his name. In fact, Abraham is not to gather one place, but is to be a nomad. And so Abraham's trusting in God, finds his name built up, whereas these people in chapter 11 uh, do not trust God, take matters in their own hands and find them scattered about. Now, we come to uh, verse 5. 5 is the great contrast. We see... God has made man as one family to reflect his own image. Mankind has used their family to build their own glory, make their own glory. But in in verse 5, we see God's purposes prevail over man's purposes. All right. Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Sons of men, literally sons of Adam. He's making a connection between, all right, you guys are just like Adam. You guys are just like Cain. You're doing it over again. Let's see what you're doing. Now, some of you might have a problem with verse 5. You think, well, wait a second. Isn't God all-knowing? Doesn't God see everything? Isn't God everywhere? How is it? It, it seems as if the language is saying that, that these, these guys are building this thing and it's kind of going behind God's back and all of a sudden God turns around and goes, oh, whoa, what's that? And he has to come down and check it out. This speaks against his all-knowing aspect, his omniscience, his omnipresence. Uh, what we're looking here is not necessary to communicate theological truths as much as what we call, remember this big word, all right, anthropomorphic language, all right? That means giving God man-like characteristics uh, so that we can understand it. But it's not just so we can understand it. In this case, Moses is making a great point. He's making a great point. Let me just explain this a little bit. We're, we're kicking off our softball season uh, tomorrow night. And I, everybody's kind of pumped up about this because... Uh, last year we had two teams and uh, we had a great season and, and we, we got close to the playoffs. Since we got close to the playoffs, we started clicking right. And, and the, that last game, man, we, the last night, uh, one team had to play the other Green Pine team. And it was a close come from behind victory. And they went to the next game and the, the next, uh, next hour, come from behind victory. Finally had to beat that same team twice. And, man, I pulled my hamstring, I twisted my ankle, and, I, you know, I was talking to Jerry, and he was, he was out for uh, several days after that, and we were all just, we were excited about it, and I was like, man, this is it, we won the title, and let's see that trophy, and, and bam, <laughs> here it is. What does it tell you that it was inside my pocket the entire time? In case you can't read it, it says WPRD 2007 Church Softball Tournament Champions. 
we're, we got this, and you know, we think we're going to get the, the whole team and lift it up. You know? <laughs> it's kind of hard to do, you know. Uh, we were talking about bringing it as we start the season. I was like, well, I'll just put it in my pocket and carry it with me, you know. Uh, so, man, there it is. That's, you know, that's what we worked toward uh, was getting this, this trophy. And, and, you know, by the end of the season, everybody's going to forget that we won, except for the ones who won, you know. Uh, but that, that's how it is with mankind's achievements, isn't it? You see, here's the thing. Mankind's working, and they're working, and they're proud of themselves. Say, Look at what we're doing. Look how tall it's getting. And, man, we're just doing something that no man has ever done before. And notice the language here. God says, where's it at? <laughs> oh, that little thing right there. Let me come down so I can check it out. You see the point that's being made? Our grand achievements are insignificant to God. Keep that in perspective because we will toil and labor for nothing. We will build our businesses and kill our families so that we can have this business that bears our name. And God says, oh, yeah, okay, you're making some money there. That's good. Well, you know, I'll be sure to fill my roads with it uh, when it's all said and done. You know, we live and work and we die for such insignificant things. God says, you know what, you need to live for something more than just whether or not you're making a name for yourself. You think, wait, 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 wait a second, making a name for yourself, that has an echo within my heart. I want to live for eternity. I want my, my name to be remembered. Have you ever gone to a cemetery? It's fascinating. I was in the Oakwood Cemetery not too long ago, and you see these huge little towers on them, and, and, and they have names on them. I think, wow, isn't there just like the Tower of Babel right there? We want something to remember ourselves with. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But yet that's the echo of our heart. And we think if we just put our name in a building, if we just build a tower, if nothing else, if we just have a family that bears our name, and our great-great-grandchildren won't even know our name, when it's all said and done, they might have it if they do a little work, but it won't matter to them much. And we think, well, you know, What's the point of living? Jesus said it this way. Don't invest your life in silver and gold, the things of this world. Invest your treasure in heaven where thieves can't destroy, or thieves can't steal, and mobs can't destroy. It won't go away. Invest your life in heaven. Yes, you're made for eternity. But you're not going to find it in building a tower or building a business or building a house or having a pretty lawn or whatever our hobbies and things might be. It's found in living for Jesus Christ that we invest in heaven. I'm kind of getting on this a little bit. That's okay. But God's purposes will prevail over man's purposes. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, he'll build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrow, for so he gives his beloved sleep. In other words, if you're working and living and investing in your life and you're not consulting God, you're not seeking him, you're wasting your years. The Lord came down to see the city, the tower which the sons of men had built. Psalm 113, verse 3 and 6 says, From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the of heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heavens and the earth? We get so caught up in our technological advances. 
You know, when mankind says one small step for, for man, one giant leap for mankind, what do you think God said? Well, I created that little moon that you're walking on. You know, I, I was able to get my, I got a little Blackberry, and I thought, man, this is just so cool. I can get emails all the time, and I can look at my contact, and I get a map how to get there, and I can just speak it. And it, I was like, man, this is so cool. And, and God said, you know what, I made wireless communication a long time ago. And it doesn't have any broken spots in it. It's called prayer. And I know your soul and I can speak to you. And when you don't tell anyone else, I can speak to you through the word of God. Man, you know, we're so impressed with fireworks. And we drop our mouths and look into fireworks. And we're like, whoa, that's so beautiful. God says, you know what? Try lightning. Try lightning. You know, we have all these things. We get caught up in technological. But God says he has to come down to see these things. We keep our lives in perspective. Do not get caught up in the technological of the, of the age. And so he says in verse 6, And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. So is God insecure? I said, oh, uh-oh. They're going to they're gonna overthrow me. We, we might get that interpretation as we read that. What, what God is not concerned about is their technological advances here. What God is concerned about is our immorality that will be a result of us coming together. When sinners come together, sin happens. And the more sinners that come together, you'll find the greater amount of sins that often result. You see this just in evidence in cities. It's not isolated cities. It happens in rural areas as well, but certainly in cities. We understand that. When we have the internet, we think, oh, this is wonderful. We can get our thoughts together and ideas together. And we find that instead of, of our life being improved, instead the immorality is prevailing and that folks are learning how to build bombs. <laughs> What's the problem? Is the problem with the internet? No, the problem is with mankind. And as they share with one another... It does not do so for their own benefit. And so, what does God do? God gives them a restriction for their own protection. We've seen this is not the first time that God has done this. God, uh, well, first took the tree of, of life out of the Garden of Eden for their own protection. We find later on that God shortens their lifespan so they would not live hundreds of years in immorality and growing worse and worse. And so he shortens their lifespan for their own benefit. God then institutes capital punishment uh, for their own benefit. And now we find that God divides the people for our own benefit so that by working together we do not grow in more and more gross rebellion against God. Simply put, we don't prove worthy of the benefits that God gives us. We understand this. We do this with our own children, do we not? Uh, if, our, if our children start speaking in such a way that it's not beneficial to one another, when they start tearing at one another, I say, okay, fine. Y'all just stop talking. You know? <laughs> if y'all can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. It's good for our ears. You know? We, why do we do that? Because we, prove, we find that they can't prove that they can handle talking. So we tell them don't talk. Well, it's the same idea here that when in our communication we start rebelling against God, God says, it's fine, y'all just don't talk with one another. And so he creates languages. Verse 7, come, let us go down in their confusion language. There's us, let us, who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. Well, is that kind of weird? No. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Yes, there's us. 
Let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, which literally means confusion, or it's kind of like Babel, Babel. It, it, it sounds like what it is, Babel. You get that name. Because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. You can imagine the scene. The city planners are trying to work with the constructors, and, and they can't, you know, something happens, and, and the, the subcontractors aren't working with the others, and the hammers, and it just it, it won't work together. And you can imagine they're trying to find someone that they can talk to. And I, I think that they probably find it among their own family. And so what happens is they scatter abroad. I believe it is at this point that races enter the scene. Where folks are limited to a genetic pool. And that genetic pool goes into an environment which perhaps maybe uh, changes some of their features and some aspects. And they stay concentrated with that genetic pool. And so consequently you have folks that look different and in one nation, they all look the same because they've all been in that same genetic pool. It's interesting that the, the races are not different colors, but actually it's the same color, the, the same pigment, the melanin, and that there's just greater degrees of it and other folks. And if, if you have someone who is brown, within them, they have the entire spectrum of the, the genetic code and that they could go, depending on who they uh, uh, marry with, with a lighter race or a darker race that can be produced out of that. And so, very likely, it could be that Noah and his family were brown uh, because of the DNA that we know about that suggests that same result. So listen, the people languages of this world, they do not primarily reflect the kaleidoscope of God's creation, but instead it is the, it is the evidence of God's judgment on our pride. When someone laughs at me because I have no idea what they're saying and they, and they know I messed up their language, you know what that is? That's humbling. That's humbling. That's fitting, though, because that's how languages began in the first place, as a consequence of our pride and rebellion against God. Interesting enough, though, that in this division, God's diversity is actually preserved. Because if we did not have these divisions, we would have a uniformity across all the people of the world of peer pressure. But God introduces and allows languages to develop and actually so preserve diversity through all this. But you know what? <laughs> There's more to this story. It says, The Lord scattered them from abroad over the face of all the earth. And then in chapter 10, all the way through the end, it says, Oh, I, I didn't finish the story. Peleg. Let me tell you about Peleg's descendants. And you find it traced all the way to the end of the chapter. Until you come to a man named Abraham. Abraham. You see, God could have wiped out the folks, but he had given his word. No, I will no longer destroy this world by flood. It's not going to happen anymore. I've made a previous promise in Genesis chapter 3 that from uh, Eve's seed will come one who will destroy the work of Satan, who's wrecked this havoc against me, against and destroyed this world with sin. I've made these promises. I will not destroy these people, though they certainly do deserve it. I will not do a flood. What will I do? I will restrain the evil. I will shorten their days. I will divide the languages. And I will work to undermine Satan. And I will do it through Shem. I will do it through Abraham. 
And we come to chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and he gives the covenant to Abraham, which we'll look at in detail next week. But simply, he says, in your family, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. What is he saying? There will be one who comes from you. One who comes from you. And he was referring, guess what, in case you don't figure it out, he's referring to Jesus, all right? He says, there will be this one named Jesus who will be a blessing to all the nations of the world of which I just identified in chapter 10. If you are a descendant of one of these individuals, then in Shem we find someone that can be a blessing to you. He is a blessing because he fulfills Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that if you will come to him, you'll find that sin, pride, the thing that builds our, our name against God, the root of it has been destroyed through the work of Jesus Christ. And that is the point. Now, now listen, here's the end result. Okay, here's the end goal. And we get a foretaste of it in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God comes upon the church, comes upon Peter and the disciples, and he starts proclaiming. He says, you know what? Jesus Christ, he is the Messiah, the one whom you crucified. But he rose again on the third day, and their hearts were pricked. And they said, what must we be doing to be saved? And by the way, Peter, how can we understand you anyway? We're from all over the world. Aren't you drunk? Peter said, no, I'm not drunk. It's in the middle of the day. Let me tell you what's happened. The Spirit of God has come upon me, and now we can communicate in every language. What do we have in Acts chapter 2? A foretaste of what can happen in the end. And here is a picture of the end. And at the end, at Revelation, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. And they sang a new song. This is the end times. They sang a new song saying, You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. Who are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus Christ. And have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one can number, of all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in the hand, and crying with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Friends, what Satan used to, uh, to rebuild or build up man against God, God said, okay, well, let's, there be languages. And then he uses those languages, and a myriad, a spectrum of languages comes up and gives praise to Jesus Christ in every tongue and every language. That is the end result. What mankind has been trying and trying to do in uniting mankind, using the internet, going to Google Translate.com, trying to figure out how to communicate with one another, God alone does through the Spirit of God. He does. And, in, and what is it we'll be saying? Not look at me, look at mankind, look at our name, but instead look at Jesus Christ who redeemed us and bought us back. Now listen, that is the end goal. That is the end result. But let me share with you, how do we get there? Romans 1.16 says that we have a power in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we claim first to the Jews and then also to the Gentiles. In other words, all nations need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is in the seed of Shem, of Abraham, of David, of Jesus, that in all the nations of the world, Genesis 10 will be blessed. So what do we do? Matthew 28, verse 18 and 19, Jesus said, hey, you know what, guys? All authority has been granted unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all names, of all men, nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things that I've commanded you. 
listen, let me just say, that same authority, that same power that's been granted to Jesus Christ is the same authority that came and divided the languages to begin with. Isn't that wonderful to know? Yeah, I don't know how to talk to folks. I don't know how to communicate. But listen, the power that commissions me is the same one that divided our languages. He's going to help me communicate with people that I do not know and that I've been commissioned to go. Yeah, that sounds awfully familiar to Genesis chapter uh, chapter 1, where he tells us to go and fill the earth and subdue it. That sounds awfully familiar. And we say, well, you know, I don't want to go over there. I might get hurt. Something bad might happen. That's dangerous. I don't want to do that. Does that sound familiar to what we just read? Let's not scatter everywhere. Let's just stay right here, lest we be scattered and destroyed. Man, may we not be like the Tower of Babel. We as a church, it's not how comfortable we can get in these buildings. It is how we can change the world and how we get Christ into the world. I just sense an uncomfortable association. I may get in trouble, but I felt uncomfortable association with the desire of churches to build mega churches... Instead of just building churches all over the community in the world. And we say, let's build a huge building. Let's have all these great ministries. And let's build a name for Green Pines. No, it's not about Green Pines. It's about Jesus Christ. And let us take our Sunday school classes. Let us take our churches. And let's just make ourselves uncomfortable for Jesus Christ. We've been given the authority. We've been given the commission. Let us not be as those of Babel. It could very well be that this was the inspiration, Revelation 5 and 7, of Charles Wesley. When he, said, when he penned these words, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of Thy name. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ear. Tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the files clean. His blood availed for me. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Once again, the glories of his name. The only way that can happen is for you to put aside your dwarf dreams, your little trophies. And say, they're insignificant. I want to live for something greater. Simply, I ask that you forsake your Tower of Babel. And live for the kingdom of Jesus. No longer live for security and comfort. Or for your name. But live for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me warn you. As a follower of Jesus Christ, if you do not... It could very well be that there, day, there is a day and time when God sees and he comes down and says, let this be no more. And he forces us by bridle because our heart is stiff-necked against him. I call you this morning, have a soft heart. Follow Jesus Christ wherever he calls you. The very thing that you fear Maybe the very thing that happens if you do not follow Jesus Christ. Think, well, I'm going to lose my family if I do this. 
You're going to lose your family if you don't. I'm going to lose my business if I do this. You're going to lose your business if you don't. That's the point. Which one will you do? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you just identify in our lives the Tower of Babel. Lord, it's very much like us. These are our fathers that built this. It's in our own DNA to rebel against you and use whatever resources we have not for your glory, but for our own. And we can disguise it and put on the clothes of religion to make ourselves feel better about it. Oh Lord, I tell you, pray you take the word of God and that you would divide between the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Reveal to us, hold up the mirror of your word, that we may see our efforts for what they are, and that we will turn to you forsaking our pride and living for you.